God willing, this is what we do. So um, in order to move on to maturity, the prerequisites, the writer of Hebrews says, is to master these six things, or at least have a modicum of understanding of these six elementary principles of our faith. And the resurrection of the dead is, uh, that's a big one. I liked that we're doing resurrection of the dead after doing baptism and immersions because baptisms and immersions, a mikvah, is a symbol and a proclamation in the belief of the resurrection of the dead. I didn't mention that last night, but that's a very important aspect of doing a baptism, a, a, a ritual immersion for repentance, is you're saying, yes, I am leaving my old self. I'm dying to my old self. I'm going into the womb again. I'm entering an uninhabitable space, a place where if I stay too long, I will die. And then you're standing back up. And you're saying in that statement so many things. You're saying, I am being born again. I'm re-exiting the womb. But also, I know that in the future, I will be placed into an uninhabitable space as a corpse. My soul will leave my body. And I will, my body will stay in that grave. But it won't stay there forever. Eventually, my soul will be reunited with my body. And I will stand back up out of that uninhabitable space as a living being again. And that's what we call the resurrection of the dead. And that is, I would say, top three to five major tenets of our faith that we believe in. One of the things, now I realize tonight I'm teaching, I am in Southern Baptist land. I'm in Pentecostal land. And there are some very strongly held beliefs of people in this area. And some of you not all of you have come from those various denominations and those sects of Christianity that believe some very strong things about what happens to us after we die or about the second coming. And so I realize I'm, uh, I'm, I'm walking on some thin ice in this area, what I'm about to teach. But one of the things that's often taught, and this is kind of a byproduct we'll get into of American history and what we had to go through as a nation is that when we die, and this is taught in a lot of churches in the area, when we die, we go to heaven and we spend eternity there. The Bible doesn't say that. Our, our Savior, our Master, our Messiah never said that. But we assume a lot of things about heaven. We say, we say oh man, I can't wait to get to heaven. Or, or man, I'll, I'll be in I'll, heaven is like, an eternal worship service, and I can't wait to get there. I don't know about you, like I grew up in church, right? As a pastor's kid, I told you that last night. As a seven, eight, nine-year-old, that, that actually sounded more like hell to me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go out in the woods and play, right, during church. But now I, I, I warmed up to the idea of having eternal worship service. It doesn't sound half bad, but that's not the end goal. Heaven is not the end goal. But we assume a lot of things about heaven, don't we? And we construct our entire post-death and eschatological, the end times viewpoints based on some of these faulty assumptions. For instance, in John 14, 2, Yeshua says, in my father's house are many and mansions. That's what the King James Version says. I don't like that translation. It should be, are many dwelling places. Or we, we hear in Revelation 15, 2, that the saints or the multitude are playing harps, the harps of heaven. So we think, okay, heaven's got a lot of mansions. I'm going to have a mansion. I'm going to fly around with a harp, right? We assume that there's streets of gold. How many of you think heaven has streets of gold? We assume there's pearly gates made out of precious stones, right? Which are, by the way, borrowed from Isaiah. John is quoting from Isaiah, which if you go back and read, he's actually talking about the new Jerusalem on earth and not about this place called heaven. We assume a lot of things that are actually faulty. And then the church builds these entire big constructs off of those and then really calls to question your salvation or your, your, whether or not you're a heretic if you question those things. So Christianity naturally has muddled views and teachings about heaven because the Bible, why? Because the Bible rarely describes what heaven is like. The Bible is not obsessed with heaven apparently. Yeah, it does describe it a little bit, but which leads me to believe that the goal of the Bible is not getting us prepared to go to heaven. In fact, the early followers of Yeshua, all the apostles, the teachings of the gospel and the New Testament, it's not to prepare us for eternity in heaven, but rather to prepare us for heaven coming to earth. Nor did their teachings, their missions, their, their ministry of Messiah, 
was, was it geared towards or oriented towards making sure that people get born again so that they can go to heaven after they die? I, I, I hope I'm not busting too many bubbles tonight, but that's just the truth. We say this prayer, don't we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven as it is in heaven. No, on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that. That's how our master told us to pray. So if he tells us to pray like that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's foolish of us to think that eternity, we'll be spending eternity in heaven. God created the earth. He created mankind and he put us in a garden. And that garden was infiltrated by a crafty serpent, the adversary, who used our own free will to sabotage it, right? That's God's original intent. And God's going to get his way. He's going to be victorious. He will once again dwell with us in the garden. So Christianity has a lot, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to heaven. Then what's the point of all the gospels and the teaching of Messiah? Like I said, it's preparing us for his return and his kingdom on earth and preparing us for the possibility and securing a place in the seminal events called the resurrection of the dead. Now, there was an event in American history that happened in, started in 1929. Anybody know what this is? Stock market collapsed and what? The Great Depression. Great Depression. We really didn't snap out of it until really midway or most of the way through World War II. It's hard to really pin it down. Some say we're still in it. <laughs> We've just printed our way out of it. But this event was very pivotal in, in shaping and molding the theology of Christianity in the United States of America. Um, you know, I went to a Assemblies of God University that was affiliated with Assemblies of God. It's a Pentecostal school. And I, I had to take Bible courses there. I have a minor in Bible. But we have to study the history of the Pentecostal movement and Pentecostal revivals. And there was one Pentecostal theologian who said, God has been a stranger and an outcast to his own garden because of the usurper, the Satan, right? But the son of the father undertook to deal with the usurper and will not leave off till he has completed the work given to him by his father so that God once more can visit his garden. This was uh, in 1922, this man said this. Again, uh, he said, the planet on which we live is by no means to be annihilated. As sinful man has been delivered by redemption of Jesus Christ, so this sin-cursed earth is also to share in that redemption. It is to be transformed, renewed, and glorified, and made a fit place for the habitation of God's redeemed people. That was in 1922. And again, something happened in 1932, 10 years later. I'm sorry, 1939. That would shape and begin to mold American Christian theology. And in that 10 to 15 year span called the Great Depression and World War II, some songs came out, some hymns came out, wonderful hymns, very iconic hymns. But sadly, some of them just have bad theology. You know, we say, talk about like some worship teams now and some, some churches now that pump out great music, but bad theology. That was the case then. But really, I don't blame them. If you're living through the Great Depression and you're scrounging by, trying to make ends meet, your, your, your hands and mouth every single day, you would write things and you would sing songs that reflect your desire to want to leave this world for good. This world is corrupt. It's, there's no hope. I'm tired of suffering in this depression. Songs like some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, O oh glory. And when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. To a land where joy shall never end, I'll fly away. And when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Songs like this begin to take hold in, in especially American Pentecostalism, but also in and in, in just evangelicalism in, in general during the Great Depression, this, what I would call kind of this escapist theology. We need to get out of here. 
I want to leave this earth. It has caused me a great deal of suffering. And you can't blame them. But is it biblical? Is it your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven kind of language? You might say, but Gabe, what about all the New Testament verses that refer to us inheriting the kingdom of heaven, right? Like there's a lot in Matthew. And to that, I'm going to go to this book I've been, I've been studying through. Page 101, if you have that book, uh, The Elementary Principles of Ancient Jewish Christianity. Page 101, he says, Jesus says, blessed, is the, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5, 3. Meaning as believers, the poor in spirit will go to heaven, right? The same applies to those who are persecuted for righteousness. Matthew 5, 10, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not inherit, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 20. In other words, scribes and Pharisees do not go to heaven. Jesus said that we should store up treasures in heaven, whether neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's Matthew 6, 20. Or people will say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Matthew 7, 21. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 6, 18, 18, 3. The apostle Paul said, in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. 2 Corinthians 5, 2. Or in Philippians 3, 20. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Meaning we don't belong to this world, but we belong up in heaven. That's a real home in the sky, right? Or the hope laid up for you in heaven, Paul says in Colossians 1, 5. 2 Timothy 4, 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me to safely into his heavenly kingdom. It's easy to see, he says, the author says, how the church got the wrong impression. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven all the time. He sent his disciples out to teach about the kingdom of heaven. The disciples warned about not entering the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus talked about storing up treasure in heaven. The apostles talked about our inheritance in heaven. But here's the thing that heaven, about the heaven business. In Judaism, particularly in those days, Jewish people used the word heaven as what's called a circumlocution to avoid saying the sacred name of God. Rather than say God's name, they used a variety of substitute words, one such being Heavenly Father, Lord, Most High, Almighty One, Holy One, etc. In addition to these evasive synonyms for God's name and many others, they use the word heaven to refer to God. Let me give an example. People sometimes use the expression by saying, oh, for God's sake. This is a shortened version of, of uh, oh, for God's sake, if not for mine, do shut your mouth and quit talking nonsense. <laughs> People shorten these kinds of expressions and the common expletive phrase, oh, for God's sake, since taking God's name in vain like this did not fly in polite company, polite people introduced a circumlocution for the name of God. And they said what? Oh, for heaven's sake. Good. But notice the word heaven stands in for God. A person who says, oh, for heaven's sake actually means, oh, for God's sake. You know, sometimes people say, um, dad gummit. <laughs> That's another circumlocution. Take the first two words, uh, take first two letters of dad gummit and, and switch them. Uh, swap them out and you'll see what it stands for. <laughs> but the tendency towards substitution occurred all the time in Jewish culture, the culture of our master and the apostles. In that regard, the term kingdom of heaven does not mean the heavenly abode of angels and disembodied spirits. It functioned only as a circumlocution for the kingdom of God which in turn means the messianic era, the messianic kingdom. All Bible sayings, all the, all the Bible sayings about the kingdom of heaven should be read as the messianic kingdom. This one simple hermeneutical key completely changes the conventional Christian reading of the New Testament. In other words, almost every time it sounds as if Jesus and the apostles were talking about going to heaven, they were actually talking about the messianic kingdom on earth. Interesting, right? So for the sake of this Bible study tonight, we're going to skip a really big question and go on to a other question. The big question we're going to skip is what happens to me when I die? We're going to skip that tonight. Okay. I know. I'm sorry. I'm leaving you hanging, but it's apparently not one of the elementary principles of our faith. So we're going to skip it. We're going to go on to rather what happens to us 
at the resurrection. So what is the resurrection of the dead going to be like? After all, what happens to us when, I'm sorry, I skipped the part. Unlike heaven, there are so many verses in the Bible that talk about the resurrection of the dead. And I don't have time tonight to even go through them all. We're going to go through a few of them, but I can't do it justice. The Bible is replete with verses which describe this event called the resurrection of the dead. Now, you remember the Bible, true or false, is written in English. False. Written in two, primarily two languages. Hebrew and Greek. A little bit of Aramaic in, in, in some books of the, the Old Testament and the Tanakh. But primarily Hebrew and Greek. So we need to naturally, we need to dig into these languages, don't we? The, the Hebrew phrase for resurrection of the dead is right here in Hebrew. Tachiat, which if I separate, this is the root of the root of it right here. What's that word? Chai. Chai. What does chai mean? Chai. We say lechaim, to life, right? So put a tav in front of it that means to cause or to make life. And then this word right here, ha, this is the, the, metim. To, uh, to remember that in the garden, uh, God says to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will, where's, where's Marvin at? Did he leave already? He loves this verse for some reason. You will, you will, mut tamut, you will die and you will surely die. So, so that, that root, mim tav, is to die or to, to be dead. And then you, you pluralize it by adding a, a yud and a mim at the end and you make it dead ones, the dead. So what does this mean? To give life or to restore life to the metim, the dead. To restore life to the dead. And we, sing, we say this in the Amidah. Uh, we say it on Shabbat. In the Amidah we say on Shabbat even. Uh, Blessed are you, Lord our God, who resurrects the dead. And we sing it, don't we? What is it in Greek? Glad you asked. The Greek word for it is anastasis. Anastasis. It's where we get the name Anastasia. Uh, but it's a combination of two Greek words. Ana, which means again. Again. And then histami, which means to stand up. So the Greek word for resurrection means to stand again. To, to, to come back to life. Stand up. Okay? And, and that's really pivotal because, um, you know, when we say the Amidah prayer, we're praying it standing. When we say the Kaddish, if you're in a period of mourning, how do you say the Kaddish? Standing. Yeah, when you come up out of a mikvah and you're immersed and baptized, you stand up. Anastasis, to stand up again. It's important we understand those. But let's look at a few um, of, of the verses here. And uh, I'm not going to paraphrase a couple of the first ones. But you remember the, the binding of Isaac? Yes. You remember what... Um, what, what, what uh, Abraham says to the servants that are there with him at the base of this mountain, Mount Moriah. The boy and I will return. Mm-hmm. You know, the sages say, and I, I believe this, that Abraham knew and believed in the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. He knew that, yes, I might be called to sacrifice my son and be obedient even to his death, but God's going to resurrect him. The boy and I will return. What about Joseph's dreams? Remember Joseph had a dream one time and he says that there was these sheaves of wheat that were bound together and I was in the middle and they came to me and they all bowed down to me, meaning it was my brothers and my father and then who else? My My mother. And then he said the same thing about the stars and the moon and the sun, right? He said they all bowed to me. What was interesting about these dreams though is that Sarah is already dead, isn't she? Abraham's wife is already dead. I'm sorry, I messed up the names, didn't I? Rebecca, Rebecca is already dead. Thank you. Rebecca is already dead. Rachel, my goodness. It's almost my bedtime. Rachel is already dead. Joseph, Joseph is saying in that, at the resurrection, I believe in the resurrection. They might not bow to me, but they might bow to the person that I am symbolizing. I'm a type of, that is Messiah, Yeshua. But they will all come to me as a type of Messiah and they will bow at the resurrection. There's a really, um, we'll go to Daniel. If you have a Bible, go to Daniel chapter 12, verse, verses two to three. Daniel 12, two to three. 
Daniel 12, 2 to 3. If you're there, just read it really loud. Daniel 12, 2 to 3. Okay, so Daniel is saying, Daniel has a vision of the resurrection. He says, many will rise. Those who are sleeping will rise. Some to everlasting contempt and some to everlasting what? Life. Life, yeah. See, the resurrection of the dead and this concept of, of, of universal resurrection is not a New Testament concept. Daniel is speaking about this. There's another important passage, at least in the Tanakh, in, in the book of Ezekiel. In chapter 37, which gives us uh, an interesting picture and vision into the resurrection of the dead. Does anyone know what that chapter is all about? It is the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel is given this vision. He sees, if you want to go to Ezekiel chapter 37, we're not going to read the whole thing. It's, it's quite a long vision that he's having. But he sees this valley. And in the valley are hordes of bones and human skeletons and remains. It looked like a battle had taken place there. And then he says these bones begin to do what? They come together and then they do what? They stand. And they begin to put on flesh and, 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 and skin. And they begin to uh, present themselves as like an army. It's the resurrection. After, do you guys know that after the destruction of the Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem in 70 CE, 70 AD, Titus, the, the Roman uh, general, he returned home with only a portion of his 10th legion, the legion that he led into Jerusalem, that, that flattened Jerusalem and ransacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. They asked him, the Romans asked him whether he had lost all his other men on the battlefield. And Titus gave him the assurance that his men were alive, but they were still on combat duty. He had left him to stand guard over the Jewish corpses they had left behind in the fields of Jerusalem because he was sincerely afraid that their bodies would be resurrected and they would go in and reconquer the Holy Land as they had promised and so firmly believed in. You see, this, this belief was so well entrenched in Jewish life and by the first century became a very big point of division, the resurrection of the dead did. And that, to the point that there was two major schools of Jews in the first century, one called the Perushim and the other called the Sedukim, which translates to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in the prophets. They believed in angelic spirits and demons. The Sadducees, the Sadducees, did not believe any of that. They didn't believe in the afterlife like the Pharisees did. It was, a, it was a point of major division. And it still is today within Judaism a point of major division within the Jewish world today. The Reformed Jewish movement rejected the idea of resurrection entirely. And they said it's not rooted in Judaism. And the reform movement removed that portion of the Amidah with the resurrection blessing from their liturgy. And they released a new prayer book in 2007. And it, in, I'm sorry, in 2007, they reinstated that blessing, which a move, it was a move some attributed to the reform's larger turn towards traditionalism and a growing comfort with the, with the metaphor. They considered a metaphor of the resurrection. So, the reform branch of Judaism is a large branch of Judaism. And, and they, for that, since 1885, did not, they rejected the concept of the resurrection of the dead. Among Orthodox Jews, the belief in the resurrection is still generally understood as a literal prophecy that will come to fruition when the Messiah comes. Now, as we move forward into the portion of our Bibles we call the New Testament, the amount of ink on paper that talks about the resurrection is just, um, it, it's just massive. 
Let, but we can, ta- we can tackle a couple tonight if you guys can hang in there with me. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5, verse 21 to 27. And we want to see what our Messiah, the Messiah, says about the resurrection of the dead. John 5, 21 to 27. John 5, 21 to 27. If you're there and you have a really good reading voice, read it. I'm going I'm to freeze Hannah because she's been doing all the reading. Somebody with a really good loud voice, read those six or seven verses for me. John 5, 21 to 27. Okay. So what do we hear there? Let's talk about that. What do we hear just there? Just just then when she read that. Somebody talk to me. Let's discuss that. The father raises up the dead. Yeah, the father raises up in that particular verse. Who does he raise up? Who do, not quite. Whom the son quickens. Who the son quickens. What who has a different translation? The son gives life to whom he wishes. And I heard one particular phrase in there. I want somebody to find it. Those who, listen. Those who listen. He gives life to the dead. Okay? You hear that? Now, go with me. Don't, don't get stuck there. Go with me to verse 28 now. Uh, Marcus, can you read verse 28 and 29? Don't be surprised at this, because the time is coming when all who are in the grave will hear his voice. Okay, pause, pause, before you go to verse 29. So, step one, part one, was what? All who hear his voice and all who he wills will go from death to life. And then we get to verse 28 of John chapter 5, and Marcus just read it. What did it say? Marcus, read it again real loud. Don't be surprised at this, because the time is coming when all who are in the grave will hear his voice. So, the time is coming when all who are in the grave will hear his voice. Is that just talking about believers? No. no, it's all who are in the grave will hear his voice. And continue with verse 29. And come out, those who have done good to a resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. Okay, so those who have done good to a resurrection of what? Life. 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 Those who have done evil to a resurrection of what? Judgment. Who's being resurrected? All. all. You see, there's almost like this two-part system there is in the resurrection. What are your thoughts on that? Let's discuss that. Anybody have any thoughts? Anybody of you having like uh, this, I've never seen that before moment? Let me take you over to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 22. And, and Bob, could I get you to read those verses? 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 22. Last theme is destroyed. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become firstfruits of those that have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also come the resur- resurrection of the dead. For it is as it uh, is. For as in Adam all die, even, in, uh, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Okay, let's pause there. What is Paul saying? That death came through one man to who? All. Sin, right? All. We're all corrupted by sin. And then Paul says, just like through Messiah's resurrection, who will receive life? All. All will. All will. Was that all of it? Yeah, so you hear the two-part, the, the, the two-stage of, of the resurrection of the dead, right? There's those who hear his voice, right, Paul says, or actually Yeshua says, 
in John 5, those who hear his voice, and then all. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Revelation 20, verse 4. Who's got that and can read nice and loud? We're going to read verses 4 to 6. Revelation 20, verses 4 to 6. You got Xavier? Read nice and loud. Wow, what do we just hear there? Talk to me. Two different, Two different resurrections. Who's going to be in the first one? Believers. Believers, yeah. And it said specifically those, those who have been beheaded for their faith, right? Believers will be resurrected. And then, then what happens? A thousand years. And then what happens? Everyone's raised and judged, right? How many of you, you're like, I've never, ever heard that before? Anybody? Oh, good. You guys are all Bible. Or are you just ashamed to admit it? You guys. Okay. I got one in the back. Okay. I got one. Okay, cool. Well, that's what the Bible says about the resurrection. All I did was I shared verses with you about the resurrection. Just a few of them. And, and that's, to me, that flies in the face of a lot of uh, normal Christian, Christian theology about the end times or about, remember that we, talk, we started off talking about, let's spend eternity in heaven. That's the end goal. That's not the end goal. Yeah, we could talk at a different date about what happens to us when we die and where our souls go and what level of consciousness we have in that, but that's not for tonight. Let's talk about the resurrection of the dead and what we know about it. Kind of, kind of some points I pulled out. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 to 22, we read this. Everyone who has ever lived will be resurrected at some point. Everyone who has ever lived will be resurrected. Those who believe in Messiah first, those who don't, second. And what happens to them? They're judged. Like Daniel says, some to eternal life and some to everlasting contempt. And one of the last topics we're going to talk about in this whole series at Sukkot is eternal judgment. We're going to get into that. The resurrection of the dead, point two I'm going to make tonight is the reuniting of the physical body with the spirit after death. The reuniting of the physical body with the spirit. But I'm going to they're going to touch on that a little bit more here in a second. John 5 said that the resurrection is brought about by the power of God. Another point I want to make and I drew out of these verses we read that there's order to the resurrection. Yeshua was the first fruits of the resurrection, right? We learned about that in 1 Corinthians 15, thus preparing the way for others. And there's going to be two major resurrections, the just and then one for the unjust, one for everybody else. The resurrection of the just precedes the resurrection of the unjust. We talked about this in 1 Corinthians 15 and then in Revelation chapter 20. And then, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, if you want to go there, let's make this our, one of our final verses for tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 42. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. This is a really important part of the resurrection as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. You there? Mm-hmm. Who's got it and can read nice and loud for me? Read to verse 44. Anybody? So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Okay, pause. The body is sown in corruption. That's, they're using, Paul's using agricultural terminology there, talking about like a seed, right? We sow a seed. The seed seems to be dead, doesn't it? But within it has all the genetic material to grow a plant, which can produce even more seeds. But Paul's saying like, like we in a corruptible body are going to be put in the ground one day. You all are going to be put in the ground one day, Right? But then what does he say? Keep going. 
It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is, it is sown in the ground in dishonor. What does that mean? Our bodies hurt sometimes, don't they? We want new bodies, don't we? They're, they cause us pain, don't they, and discomfort. Sometimes we get sick. We get chronically ill. Sometimes we get diseases. Those things cause us dishonor. And then we live in sin and we tr are trapped in flesh. And we're always, our entire life, this side of the kingdom, warring. We're in a war with our flesh, aren't we? To bring it under submission. And when we die, we're sown, Paul says, in dishonor because of that. So keep going. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Do so you hear that? Paul's saying you're sown in a physical body, but we're resurrected in a spiritual body. There is a spiritual body and a natural body. Keep going. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made out of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So when we are resurrected, this last point I was able to draw from these verses that we read tonight. When we are resurrected, we will be resurrected in an imperishable bodies. Man, I look forward to that, right? This is our hope. Paul says, give a reason for the hope that you have. Be able to give account for it. This is the hope. The word mikvah is closely related to the word tikvah, which is the word for hope. Right? One is a place of water, but also a place of hope. A mikvah, it's a, it's a place that's uninhabitable. And you go into it for a time and then you come back out and you have hope, just like the grave. But this is our hope. We, we hope in the redemption of us and the renewal of us. And not only that, but the renewal and the redemption of the earth. When God's kingdom comes to this earth. Heaven sounds amazing, but it's not the end goal. The garden on earth in God's presence is. You may fly away one day, but you're coming back. <laughs> right? Let's pray and uh, read Hebrews chapter 6 and we'll do Q&A. I'm sorry to interrupt you. We'll, let's pray real quick. Uh, let's go to Hebrews 6 again real quick. Go to Hebrews 6. Let me get somebody to read that part of Hebrews 6 that we've been reading every single night, twice a night so far. You guys are going to have it down, aren't you? Who's got it? Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Oh, keep going. Of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. One more. This will we do if God permits. There we go. Are you praying that God permits us to do that? As a congregation, that we move on past the elementary principles of the faith. Remember, these are prerequisites. You can't figure out, you know, all the deep hidden mysteries of the Hebrew Tanakh and, you know, the, the gematria and all this other stuff. You cannot move on to maturity. You, you, can't, you can't do it, the writer of Hebrews says. You can't try to unravel all the deep prophecies and mysteries of the Bible and the end times or whatever until you've mastered these, until you have a, a proficiency with these then you can move on to maturity. Now, I hope uh, some of you learned something tonight about the resurrection and you were at least pointed in the right direction of how to look at the resurrection and the end times and God's coming kingdom to earth through the right lens. And uh, I, like I said, I hope it didn't bust too many bubbles, but um, you can come give me a hug later if you need a hug. <laughs> Let's pray though, and then we'll have a time of Q&A. Father, I thank you that you are a God who desires to dwell with us again. And we long to dwell with you. We miss you. Our bodies yearn for your redemption and your presence. They groan and all creation is groaning for your redemption and your renewal. May it be soon and in our days, Father. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. So guys, before you throw up your hands and ask questions, 
be prepared for me to say, I don't know a lot. You ready? I'm going to say, I don't know a lot, but that's all right. I, I, Mr. Wayne, I think you had a comment you were going to add. Focusing in on what the Bible does mm, yeah. because it does give us hope yeah. and knowledge yeah. of life beyond beyond the grave. Place. Yeah. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Thank you. I see Susanna Thank will go to you. Brian. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know. No, I was kidding. Well, one of them being in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 5, the yeah. meat shall inherit the earth. That's the first one. Yeah. Then in Matthew 13, uh, he gives the parable of the weeds and the explanation that he gives to uh, the disciples. He says, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the earth. And the good seed is the son of the Wow. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like we want to stay here. I don't want to. I don't want to be taken. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be the weeds. Um, what are those verses, Brian, for people who couldn't hear? Okay, so Matthew 5, Matthew 13, if you're taking notes, those are verses which kind of speak to what we taught about tonight. So, any other questions, guys? Uh, Jason, and then we'll go to Marcus. Uh, I, can ask you. <laughs> I don't know. So, would you agree or could you clarify that when we're talking about the natural body versus the physical body, my first question, that it's not necessarily talking about two different types of bodies, but not necessarily non-physicality as far as being some kind of incorporeal mist that just kind of floats around. Mm-hmm. That, and that's what yeah. I think that we're just going to be, we're going to be bodies, we're going to have bodies, but right. spiritual bodies. Um, the second is, would you agree that if you're going to use a dichotomous, like black and white descriptor, wouldn't it be better than saying, you know, the, the typical narrative is, heaven and hell, heaven and hell, heaven and hell. Wouldn't life and death be a better uh, uh, Let me answer your questions in reverse. Okay. Um, no to your second question. I think the terminology heaven and hell or kingdom and hell are good biblical terms. There is a hell and people will go to it. Um, so I do like that to dichotomous. Yeah, it's life and death. Sure. Or it's, it's living and dying, eternally speaking, for eternity. But no, I think, I, think, I think it's good to use biblical terms, and those are biblical terms. To answer your first question, I think when we are resurrected, we will be like Adam. Does that answer your question? Is it a spiritual body or is it a physical body? Yes. Is it a mist that floats around? Are we like cupids? No. 
but we will have physical bodies that can enjoy the physical world around us and be able to take in sights and smells and tastes, but at the same time not be held captive by the, the physical flesh and the animalistic person within us that, that wants to exploit those aspects of being a physical being. Does that make sense? And exploit other people for the sake of those experiences. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just asked that question because, and, and thank you for elaborating on that, yeah. just because to clarify, because a lot of people have this kind of murky understanding of what that means to, to have spiritual bodies. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. Yeah, good questions. All right, any other questions, guys? Yeah, Xavier? You can't say that in Southern Alabama. <laughs> I'm going to turn you into the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, no, yeah, the Bible clearly teaches a, uh, that we're going to, yeah. And again, I, I think that that's a residual, vestigial uh, appendage, a theological appendage of what happened during the Great Depression, that we're going to be zapped out before times get tough. Um, and it sounds wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I would love that. And I, I hope, guys, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I, I hope I am wrong, but I just can't prove it with the Bible. So um, just be ready and be prepared. But yeah. All right. Uh, who's that? I can't see the silhouette. Is that Michael? Michael and then Patrick? Uh, you missed Marcus. Oh, I did miss Marcus. Oh, my goodness. Go ahead, Marcus. Did you forget? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. They're still in that very infantile state of their faith. Yeah. Yeah. And they reach this resurrection state. Where Yeah, like will they will will Christians who don't do what we do be caught up in the resurrection you're saying? Right. Um yeah. let me ask you let me answer by asking a question. Were Egyptians that put their hope in Zaphnath Panea saved from the famine? No. Were Egyptians that put their hope in Joseph, a.k.a. Zafnath Panea, saved from starvation and the famine. Yes. Did they know who he was? No. Were they saved from a famine and from starvation? Yes. Would it had been better for them to really understand who Joseph was and his heritage and his family? Yeah. And some of them came to know that later, but they were still saved from a famine and they were okay with that. So... Yeah, I, th- I think absolutely that, yeah, there, there are people, um, now Yeshua says, uh, when it comes to the Torah, when it comes to the law, whoever disobeys even least of these will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and so teaches will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So you can take that and, and study that and meditate on it. But, but I'm not in a position where I can dictate who is and who's not going to be in the resurrection. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't want that job. Uh, but um, yeah, I have a lot of hope for mainstream Christianity. Um, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 look, like I have, I have such a hard time getting Gabe Rutledge's flesh under submission to God's will, and <laughs> and like I, if anything, I need to be asking, will Gabe Rutledge be in the resurrection? Will I be in the kingdom? Because. I need to live under that constant fear of, dude, Gabe, you're, you know, you're a hot mess sometimes, right? So we all are. Yeah. But yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I just put it to you that way and, and see, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good question though. Patrick, I think you had your hand up. You want to ask on Alexis's behalf? Yes. Oh, uh, no, I can't do it on the spot now. Uh, something, something like a place like Earth. 
Oh, oh, heaven is a place like that. Thank you. Thank you for that, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, that was Alexis, everybody. Of course you're going to die. I mean, all right. Any other questions, guys? No? That's all of them? You all know everything about the resurrection of the dead and everything else? Cool. Awesome. I'm glad. You have a question? You're thinking about it? No? Suzanne? Oh, oh, wait, wait. Hannah, are you talking? Yeah, we can go ahead. No, go ahead, Hannah. Go ahead. I thought you changed your mind. (laughs) No, I was going to say, it's not really a question, but um, as far as, like, the New Jerusalem, whether or not coming down to earth, I was just thinking of a verse in Revelation 21 where one of the angels comes to John, and it's, like, Revelation 21, verse 10, and it says, that the angel carried him off in the spirit to the top of a great high mountain and showed him the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Mm. Mm. So yeah, yeah, which is kind of a, you're saying that that's another verse that kind of pokes a hole in the idea that we're going to spend eternity in heaven. Right. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. Thank you. Suzanne? Do you think we're going to be able to walk through walls and be circulated? Oh, wow. <laughs> Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. He was able to walk through walls, and we know about the story of Philip and the Ethiopian unit that we talked about earlier, and how he was translated. Okay, I'm going to follow up the can we walk through walls question with another question. Will our resurrected bodies need to go to the bathroom? Because, <laughs> because I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to know if we can walk through walls until after I know if we have, no. That's the first thing my mind went to, was like, am I going to have privacy then, you know? <laughs> No, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. That's, that would be awesome, though. That would be neat. It would be great. Walk through walls. Be way more efficient. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I see. Bob and Marcus. So, I know a lot of people like, oh, I don't want to be floating around playing a harp on the clouds for eternity. Yeah. I don't believe we will. I think we will have jobs. Uh, what those jobs will be, I don't know. I just wondered if you had any thoughts. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think it's in Isaiah somewhere. He he says that he'll actually bring people from the nations to serve as priests. I don't know. But Marcus? Yeah. 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 He said, if we have the bodies of Adam post-resurrection, we'll have physical bodies that won't be able to go through walls. So that sounds like a good discussion to have around the fire, doesn't it? All right. With that, I want to thank you all for your attention. Get ready for our guest speaker tomorrow night. It's gonna, he or she is gonna blow your socks off with teaching on the laying on of hands. So. Thank you guys so much. Have a great night. Be safe as you travel.